Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Ocean State Bird Club offers bird walks, lectures, and a quarterly newsletter all focused on the hundreds of bird species that pass through Rhode Island. Fall is the perfect time to bid farewell to the last of the summer migrants. Find us at OceanStateBirdClub.org and follow us on Facebook, Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 698. McGregor and the Scottish Pipe Band. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So here's a question. Can the sound and sight of birds help save folks suffering from wretched health conditions? Well, according to the UK-based Guardian newspaper, doctors in Scotland's Shetland Islands are now prescribing bird watching, along with walking as treatment for chronic and debilitating diseases. The local health board has reportedly begun issuing what are called nature prescriptions to patients to help treat mental illness, diabetes, heart disease, stress, and other conditions. According to the report, patients are even given calendars and lists of walks drawn up by the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, showing them particular bird species and plants and how to find them. The health board says it is not suggesting that nature prescriptions will replace conventional medicines, but that they're meant instead as supplements to traditional treatments. Then there's a health issue that no amount of bird watching will help. In fact, it's one with the potential to mean there could be no bird watching in the future. It's the latest report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Climate Panel, which says society will have to enact what it calls unprecedented changes to how we consume energy, how we travel, and how we build to meet a lower global warming target or risk increases in heat waves, flood-causing storms, drought in some regions, and the loss of species. The goal of the recently enacted Paris Climate Accords is to keep global temperatures from rising more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. The new UN report says that the effects of temperatures rising 2 degrees would involve huge changes to the world. That increase, the panel says, would mean that the Arctic Ocean would be ice-free in summer every 10 years, while coral reefs would be virtually wiped out, sea levels would rise to disastrous levels, and mass extinctions would occur. That's if it went up 2 degrees Celsius. Here's hoping the world's countries, including this one, are paying close attention. Meanwhile, it's our Mystery Bird Contest Preview. You're hearing the sound of our Mystery Bird. It's a slender, medium-sized songbird with a long tail that has white spots along its edges. Its back and wings are a soft brown color with a rusty tinge on the wings, and its undersides are whitish. Its bill is black above and yellow below. Our bird winters in South America and breeds all over the U.S. except for the far west and feeds on insects including large quantities of caterpillars, which it gleans from foliage. 
We have some fabulous prizes lined up for our Mystery Bird Contest, and we'll be announcing the actual conduct of the contest in uh, just uh, a little bit. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook extra, page this week. Young birds learn to sing by listening to adults in most cases, but now researchers have shown that they can teach young sparrows in the wild how to sing a new tune. We'll link you to the story from science.com. In his latest newspaper column, Ask the Bird Folks, our man Mike O'Connor helps a reader idea Bobolink, a.k.a. the rice bird. And Mike throws in some comments about throwing rice at weddings. We'll hook you up. And from the Audubon Research Center in the Florida Keys come some fabulous photos and facts and sounds and videos about a whole bunch of spectacular water birds. We have the connection to their beautiful story map right on our page. And that's uh, some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. You can find those stories on an online search, too, in case you're not a Facebook follower. Meanwhile, we'd like to say a great big thank you, two of them, in fact, to two new Talking Birds ambassadors who've agreed to hand out some of our info cards to their friends and neighbors. And thank you to Randy Johnson from Fort Worth, Texas. Thank you so much, Randy. And thank you to Nicole D. from Rochester, New York. She says she's an amateur birder and brand new listener. So welcome, Nicole to the show and uh, to our Ambassadors family. If you'd like to join Randy and Nicole, just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some cards to hand out to your friends and you can help spread the word about the show and about birds and conservation. Still to come on our show today, if you were to do an online search for palm oil, one of the headlines you'd see would be, what is the problem with palm oil? And the answer presented would be, the industry is linked to major issues such as deforestation, habitat degradation, climate change, animal cruelty, and indigenous rights abuses in the countries where it is produced, as the land and forests must be cleared for the development of the oil palm plantations. On our show today, we'll talk to a man who knows a lot about these problems and what, if anything, can be done to solve them. He's Dr. Charles Chip Barber, director of the Forest Legality Initiative of the World Resources Institute. He'll join us here in just a few minutes. A little later, we'll present our famous mystery bird contest and we'll catch up with our man, Mike O'Connor, for our Let's Ask Mike segment about something uh, from which oil is often made. That would be peanuts. This in association with feeding them to birds. Right now, a bird that's not afraid to scamper over slippery rocks in the crashing surf is today's featured feathered friend. Presented by Birdwatching Magazine for more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. They say a rose is red and violets are purple sugar sweet and so is maple circle. Well, that was Roger Miller's attempt in his 1964 recording, Dang Me, to find a word that rhymes with purple. It's not easy. In fact, we've already given up on the idea and are ready to move on to this week's featured feathered friend, the purple sandpiper. What a fascinating bird to see as it forages in its very specialized environment, jumping around on rocks in the splashing surf and dashing through the seaweed picking up little crabs and insects and periwinkles. Purple sandpipers, which have the northernmost range of any shorebird, 
flying no further south than the Carolinas in winter, are beautifully compact little birds, about nine inches long. Adults have short yellow legs, a thin dark bill, and back and wings with a slight purplish gloss that gives the bird its name. Like other birds, most famously the killdeer, purple sandpipers do kind of a broken wing thing when their nests are threatened. It's known as the rodent run display as the bird tries to draw predators away from the nest by running and fluffing its feathers and squealing like a mouse. And they can move pretty fast. Well, maybe not that fast. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, the purple sandpiper. Welcome again to our show, number 698. Please visit us. Our website is TalkingBirds.com, and we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. So what do the following items have in common? Margarine, ice cream, chocolate, soap, detergent, and instant noodles. Well, they're among the many, many products that we all use that contain palm oil. Palm oil is said to be the biggest vegetable oil crop in the world, and it's got to mean that the way it's grown is pretty important, and its production is causing big problems for birds, for people, and for our planet. We're about to talk to someone who knows a lot about the topic. He's Dr. Charles Chip Barber. Dr. Barber served as forest chief in the State Department's Bureau of Oceans and International Environmental and Scientific Affairs from 2009 to 2014. He has focused much of his career on foreign aid, diplomacy, and the nonprofit sector on the factors driving tropical deforestation and biodiversity loss, especially in Southeast Asia, where the impacts of palm oil cultivation have been most intense. He's now the Forest Legality Initiative Director for the World Resources Institute. Their mission is to move human society to live in ways that protect Earth's environment and its capacity to provide for the needs and aspirations of current and future generations. Charles Chip Barber joins us on the phone right now. Good morning, Chip. Good morning. Good to be with you. Thanks for being with us, Chip. And tell us, how big is the palm oil problem and what are the biggest issues with the process and scale of its production? Well, um, the palm oil tree is native to uh, tropical West Africa, and it's been around and used by people for probably 5,000 years. I think they found traces of it in some of the um, ancient Egyptian sites. Um, but its use has really skyrocketed in about the last three decades. It's um, about a 60-foot tall spiky tree, has, uh, a palm tree has big... Uh, bunches of fruits which um, can be squeezed to get oil out of both the fruit part and the inside is a, uh, a palm kernel. Um, it's uh, Most of it these days comes from Malaysia and Indonesia in Southeast Asia, which is ideal habitat and really invested in it. Um, it's uh, the areas uh, that is under cultivation has probably tripled. Um, a little hard to tell because there's big producers and small ones, but probably tripled. Uh, as, far, as near as I can tell, 18 to 20 million hectares which is a lot, um, is now there in uh, mainly in Southeast Asia. There's, uh, it's, it's making inroads as well in other places where it grows well in the tropics in Central and West Africa and in parts of Latin America. The problems that it caused, it's a very useful thing, obviously, as you mentioned. It can be used for many things. It's a productive crop. Um, the problem is where you plant it, and um, it 
does best in, in large plantations when you're producing it for commercial purposes, and, um, which can be set around a processing facility. The fruits only last about two to three days uh, after it's been cut, so it needs to get processed into oil. Um, so long and short of it is, is vast areas of tropical rainforest have been cleared. Often the way they clear them is to take out some timber first, and uh, then it gets burned. Um and planted in these 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 massive clear cut plantations. Um, a lot of the area in Indonesia that's been cleared is peat swamps, tropical peat swamps, which has caused huge problems with uh, people may have heard of with fires and haze. Obviously, a uh, huge trigger to um, emissions that affect climate change. Um, and this has been a major major issue in Indonesia and for some of its neighbors as the haze has moved into Singapore and other places. So those are some of the big problems that we see. Um, and uh, as, as it as it has has developed, it's not about the plant itself. The plant is just a palm tree. It's where you plant it, and 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 how you plant it. And planted, uh, as you say, mostly in Malaysia and Indonesia. What, if anything, are those countries trying to do to combat the palm oil problem? Are they doing anything? Well, there's been uh, yes, there had there, there have certainly been some efforts. There's been a lot of public pressure. Some of the big corporations who are the consumers of this, uh, the the ultimate uh, what they would call the consumer facing companies like Unilever and Nestle and Mars and others, have themselves been pressured and put pressure on their suppliers. And the governments have reacted to some degree. There have been zero burning policies put in place. There have been moratoriums and bans on the clearing of pristine tropical rainforest areas um, for the planting of palm oil or anything else. Um, It's not just palm oil. It's a problem in some countries in the region. You find rubber and other things, but palm oil is the largest of these so-called forest risk industrial agriculture crops. So there's been some efforts and there's been some improvements, but it's still quite a big problem. And what people worry about now is some of these major companies from that part of the world have started to look at investments in the Congo Basin in Africa, in Peru, and other parts of the world. And there's a a lot of concern that um, the way that it, it, it develops in Latin America and Africa not follow this very destructive path, which has caused all these problems for biodiversity climate change in Southeast Asia. It's worth mentioning that in one study uh, that was done, when you go from pristine tropical rainforest to a one-species monocultural plantation of palm oil, um, only about 15% of the species can actually continue to inhabit that area. So it's very bad for biodiversity. Birds can move around a bit better than orangutans perhaps in tigers and things like that, but they definitely get affected. And uh, so it's not only a big problem in terms of air pollution and and the climate change side, but also for the habitats of, uh, of animals. And in Southeast Asia, the lowland tropical rainforests are some of the most diverse areas in the world. So it's definitely of concern from that perspective. There appears to be uh, an ironic circumstance maybe uh, now about the the attempt to get rid of trans fats in our diets for health purposes that maybe is a driver uh, to even further the increase uh, in the use of palm oil. Is that a big factor? Uh, It's certainly a factor. I don't know if it's a big factor. The push away from trans fats and towards more healthy oils in food um, certainly has had an an impact and that there have been some substitutions. I'm, I'm no expert on this, but I know that uh, in, in terms of the bad dietary consequences, something like coconut oil is, is, is worse than palm oil. And um, 
you know, so that has been one factor, but there have been a lot of things which have been pushing it. It's cheap, and it's easy to produce. Um, and uh, there's, there's been, you know, it's gone up and down with, uh, you know, sometimes the price is high, sometimes there's overproduction. And you've seen efforts, say, in Indonesia to put a mandate to increase the use of palm oil in biodiesel. So basically mixing it in um, like we do in the United States with ethanol to make fuels. Um, certainly it's used in a whole variety of, of products. A third of it in Indonesia isn't exported. It's, it's used um, as the main oil, you know, that people use in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole lot of different demands for it in different ways. As you mentioned, it appears in cosmetics and mm-hmm. soaps and a whole range of things. Um, and so it's a, there's just a high healthy demand for it in the world, and it's one of the most productive per acre crops that there is in mm-hmm. terms of vegetable oil. To bring the problem down to ground level right at the grocery store, Chip, what can consumers do? Anything about buying products that inevitably contain palm oil? Is there a way to... Any uh, labeling and stuff that we should look for? Well, it's not labeled very well in some cases. It'll just say vegetable oils or things like that. I think there's two things. There has been an effort. There's a, there's a group uh, that came together with industry and environmentalists and all called the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil. And they have a label, um, which you can find sometimes. I found it the other day on Amazon.com. If you look for certified palm oil, you can buy it right there online. Mm-hmm. Um, and they set a, a, a certain set of standards on not having impacts on high conservation value forests, not clearing rainforest, and there's an, an auditing process. So that is getting going. Um, the extent to which you will find that in the blended products, I think, is you know like soap and things like that. It's pretty difficult, and there's always that, that effort. Do you just say, to, uh, I don't want to buy anything that has palm oil in it, or do you say, I want to buy from the people who are doing it responsibly, and so we can support them as opposed to the, the more irresponsible sources? I know that the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado has an app you can download to your phone, which provides buying choices about this. They got involved because they have orangutans there, and one of the number one threats to orangutan habitat is palm oil, and there are probably others like that, so anyone who's interested could go and take a look. I think the main thing, though, is to, um, outside of your choices as a consumer, to just make it known to the people that that you buy things from, um, to policymakers, anyone, that you are concerned about this, and you can always support any of the many groups that are out there who are doing work to try and improve the situation. Charles Chip Barber is the director of the World Resources Institute Forest Legality Initiative. You can find out more about their important work concerning palm oil and many other environmental issues at WRI.org. That's WRI.org. And while you're there, be sure to read some of Charles Barber's blogs on topics ranging from the effects of the U.S. withdrawal from the Trans-Pacific Partnership to how scientific advances are helping to fight illegal logging to building a sustainable guitar. Chip, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, and thank you for your amazing and important work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name is Candy Powell, and I live in Jamestown, Rhode Island. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I have been a passionate birder for 
probably 45 years, and I totally fell in love with the radio show. I'm a pretty outgoing person, and I have a lot of connections, and so I thought it would be a natural for me to become an ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com, click on the contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. And thank you, Candy Powell. And speaking of Rhode Island, uh, this ties right in with a little message for listeners in Rhode Island. Uh, next, um, let me make sure I got the uh, date uh, correct here. It's the 121st annual meeting of the Audubon Society of Rhode Island. Sunday, the 21st of October. That would be next Sunday, 1 p.m. at uh, the Squantum Association in Riverside, Rhode Island. The Audubon Society uh, hosted us a few weeks ago at their Raptor Weekend. What an amazing organization it is. If you're in Rhode Island, be sure to check them out and uh, think about going to this meeting, especially, too, if you're a member, 121st annual meeting. And it will also include, by the way, uh, folks running for governor, the three candidates, incumbent Gina Raimondo, Republican Alan Fung, independent Joe Trillo, they'll be speaking at this event too. You can find out more about it on the website, asri.org, Audubon Society of Rhode Island, asri.org. It's our mystery bird contest, trying to identify this mystery bird Prizes include the Droll Yankees Double Suet Feeder, perfect for treating your backyard birds to their favorite suet or fruit, plus a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. It's great. It's the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. 781-837-4900 is the number. Clues to our mystery bird. It's a slender, medium-sized songbird with a long tail that has white spots along its edges. Its back and wings are a soft brown color with a rusty tinge on the wings, and its undersides are whitish. Its bill is black above and yellow below. Our bird winters in South America and breeds all over the U.S. except for the far west and feeds on insects, including large quantities of caterpillars, which it gleans from foliage. That would be our mystery bird. If you know what it is, by all means, give us a call as soon as you can and tell us or take a guess. As always, no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner, so it's worth taking a guess. Even if you don't have the exactly correct answer, you could be our winner. 781 837 4900 is the number, 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, peanuts is the word. We check in with Mike O'Connor down at the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Well, in 2015, Noah Stricker set himself a lofty goal to become the first person to see half the world's birds in one year. He traveled across 41 countries in all seven continents, eventually spotting 6,042 species. By far the biggest birding year on record, he recorded it all in his memoir, Birding Without Borders, now available in paperback. This is no travelogue or glorified checklist. No adventures deep into a world of chronic sleep deprivation, airline snafus, breakdowns, mudslides, floods, war zones, ecologic devastation, conservation triumphs, common and iconic species, and scores of passionate bird lovers around the globe. 
By pursuing the freest creatures on the planet, he gains a unique perspective on the world they share with us and offers a hopeful message that even as many birds face an uncertain future, more people than ever are working to protect them. Birding Without Borders is available wherever books are sold. Well, it looks like peanuts, uh, wild turkeys, uh, wild boars, and comfort squirrels all on the uh, topic list here this morning with Mike O'Connor down there at the Birdwatchers General Store. Good morning, Mike. Oh, good morning, Ray. Yeah, that's right. The comfort squirrels are a little bit upset over this. You know, for years, everybody <laughs> been complaining about squirrels. And now we, we try to get the squirrels to actually come and help people comfort this poor woman who's trying to fly. And they wouldn't let her have it on the plane. Did you see this in Orlando? They they yeah. removed this woman on the from the plane because she was had her comfort squirrel comfort with her. Squirrel, yeah, yeah, and and then they won't let her fly with that. I don't know what the world's coming to when you can't fly with a squirrel to get you comfort. Uh, exactly, it's, it's upsetting. I, I, I take my chipmunk with me everywhere I go. I don't know <laughs> yeah, what, what's next? Are going to stop me with my comfort rhinoceros? His comfort <laughs> rhino. Yeah, I've seen that thing. You have to pay for an extra seat or two for that. I think. Right? Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's all gone crazy okay. right now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. on to on to peanuts because a lot of a lot of folks ask me. They, um, you know, they, they put out sunflower seeds. I always yap about that, and they says, "There's something else we can try." And, and here's something you could try, especially in the fall: peanuts. Regular, good old, eat at the ballpark peanuts. Um, you get them in shells. You get them without the shells. That's two different ways. The ones with the shells, you really don't need a specialty feeder. You can put them out on a tray. They, and then birds come and take them. Tip mice like them, but especially the blue jays. Blue jays will, you put out peanuts on a tray, and the blue jays will be on before you get back in the house. They just love those. They take several at a time. And, you know, the people think, well, the blue jays are pigs. Well, they kind of cash them for the winter. <laughs> And they'll put as many as they can, and they got so many they can't even squawk anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you can get peanuts without the shells, mm-hmm. and you buy and you put those in more of a wire mesh, like a like a regular sunflower two feeder, only it's made out of wire. And when I first got one of those, I said, "Well, the peanuts don't fit through that," but mm-hmm. um, that's the idea. The birds land mm-hmm. on it and they pick, 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 and they take little pieces at a time, and especially nuthatches and chickadees and woodpeckers. It's like an alternative to suet. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people put suet out for woodpeckers, but this peanuts is cruelty-free. You know, there's no animal products mm-hmm. in here, and they just put them in there, and then the, the woodpeckers come, the downies, the hairies, and they're going to trouble with those things. you got to keep an eye on them because without the shells, they get moldy quick, and you don't want moldy peanuts. It's no good for the birds, and it's certainly no good for your comfort squirrel. Exactly, and you mentioned pigs also. I thought I'd just mention quickly, last week we heard from Janice up in... Uh, um, um, oh my gosh, New I Hampshire, the right? town. It was in New Hampshire, uh, Grantham, New Hampshire. And, and the, her landscaper said that turkeys had been chewing up her lawn. It turns out they were actually wild boars from the nearby <laughs> Corbin Game Park that were doing that. So Janice wanted to apologize to the turkeys. Um, <laughs> for for blaming them. Creatures. It, yeah, that's it wasn't good. their fault at all. Yeah, all right. right. Talk to you next week, Mike. Sounds great. All right. We're back to the Mystery Bird Contest. That would be the sound of our mystery bird, a slender, medium-sized songbird with a long tail. It has white spots along its edges. Back and wings, a soft brown color with a rusty tinge on the wings. Undersides, whitish. Its bill is black above and yellow below. What would that mystery bird be? 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. A beautiful Droll Yankees double suet feeder and a download or online access to... The LarkWire app would be our prizes there. We have Jack, who's right here in Marshfield. 
Massachusetts. Uh, good morning, Jack. Hey, good morning, Ray. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Jack? Good, thanks. So you heard all the clues and uh, all that other stuff about our mystery bird. Uh, uh, what do you What do you think? I think it's a yellow-billed cuckoo. Nice job. Yellow-billed cuckoo is absolutely correct. It is a cool-looking bird. I imagine you have you seen a few, Jack, around here? I, yeah, a few years back. I remember seeing one, and I uh, remember hearing one, too, uh, a while back. Uh, a cuckoo, kind of infamous in, uh, in Europe for... Um, uh, laying its eggs in other other birds' um, nests, very very infamous oh. for that. Um, apparently, I've just been reading uh, stuff about the yellow-billed cuckoo doesn't usually do that, although sometimes it will lay its egg in the nest of another cuckoo or even that uh, of another species. So they're not entirely off the uh, off the hook on that. But Jack, <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Nice job on that, and uh, we'll be sending out those uh, nice prizes to you. We don't have to send them very far. Right, yeah, okay. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Jack. And we'll be back right after this brief message. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. We're out of time for our show this morning. Thank you, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. We'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Ocean State Bird Club offers bird walks, lectures, and a quarterly newsletter all focused on the hundreds of bird species that pass through Rhode Island. Fall is the perfect time to bid farewell to the last of the summer migrants. Find us at OceanStateBirdClub.org and follow us on Facebook, Ocean State Bird Club.